So how do, how, do, how do you live a conspicuous faith? Conspicuous being noticeable, attractive, observable because of its striking quality, unmissable for the right reasons. How do you live that kind of faith? I, I Honestly, I want to live that kind of faith. Any, anybody else? I want to live that kind of faith. I want people to, they don't need to agree with me. They don't even need to like me necessarily. But when they look at the way I live my faith, it's like, I can't deny that. Yeah. There's something about that. And so I want to help you with that today, that we would live in a compelling way and that it would definitely go public. And so listen to this from the Bible. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbours. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honourable behaviour and they will give honour to God when he judges the world. Well, maybe even before. <laughs> but but think about how you're going to live amongst your unbelieving neighbours or your neighbourhood that in the end it might point them to God, no matter what they say. I'm sure I've told the story here. My mum and dad separated when I was seven years old. My dad's a rogue and my mum was awesome. And, um, and the truth is that uh, my dad um, used to tell my mum she was the worst Christian he'd ever met. I don't know how many Christians my dad had actually met anyway, but she was the worst one he'd ever met. And a bunch of years later, my mum... wandered away in a faith she then came back really solidly for the rest of her life but she had a few years in what in christian world we'll call the wilderness and uh and my dad by this time they're separated divorced in the middle of it when he hears the news he says to my mom what happened you were the best christian i ever knew <laughs> and she said but jim you said and he went i know what i said but this is the truth And your life and mine, if you're not someone who's a Christian today, even then, isn't it true? When you hear someone and watch someone at work, and if they're the worst worker you've ever seen, and if they just speak like everyone else and bag everybody and accuse the bosses, do you think, I want to be like that person? Not at all. But the truth is, if there's something about a person's life that's unmissable, it's positively different, there's something about it that you can't just put your finger on, it causes us to stand up and take notice. And so living amongst people. Um, I was speaking at a funeral, part of a funeral, I wasn't taking the funeral actually, just part of a funeral for a guy who'd been in our Tamworth church since it had been 15 people and, and actually he'd been there for two decades before Bron and I even arrived and this is a really godly man, a genuine man, a trustworthy man, a generous man um, and uh, just a, a good guy and, and, and he was loved in our church and he was, he's actually widely respected in our community and when Brown and I first started um, the church, we started this um, youth group that was like an outreach, and we'd run a bus around all the poor parts of town, and we'd just fill it with kids, and then we'd run this youth group. It was absolute chaos. And, but, you know, even today, we'll run into those families, and they've got kids, and, and they'll come up to the strip. One lady did just the other day to Bron, a um, little Indigenous girl back then, adult with kids, now comes up and just hugs Bron in the middle of the street. It was a great thing. Well, this man was the one man who supported it every week. He was the one who helped us pay for the bus. And he was on a pension by then. He didn't have a lot. He didn't give a lot. But every week he gave out of what he had. He's a good man, a godly man. And so, so we're doing part of his funeral. And it was a very honouring funeral. And at the end of the funeral, um, people would come up and say, thank you. That was wonderful. I didn't know he was a Christian. And again, and again, and again, and again, people would come up and say, thank you. I didn't know he was a Christian. 
And my heart just began to break. I'm like, whoa. These are people, colleagues, friends, connections, that in some cases he'd known for decades. They knew his life. They're there because of the way he lived his life, but they weren't able to connect the dots that the way he lived was because of a saviour and because God was the source and God was the inspiration behind and in his life. And my heart kind of broke and I wish I'd been able to have that conversation with him much earlier in the piece. And it made me think about, even at the time, about the freedom he never knew. And I understood that because I remember being the same way early in my faith. The freedom he never knew over decades and how he'd been confined and, and how that must have felt and how he'd been silenced and how he must have wished he could break out of that. And I know he, it wasn't about apathy for him and it wasn't about indifference. He was sincere and genuine and wholehearted. So, but he felt trapped. And Proverbs says in Proverbs 29, 25, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. It says it this way too, the fear of human opinion disables. Isn't that true? Trusting in God protects you from that. If I'm speaking and I start to get nervous, I remind myself that it's not about me. It's about you. And I learned that from another speaker who speaks to much larger crowds than uh, I ever will. And, and, and when you take the fear of a person's opinion out of the equation, doesn't it liberate you on anything? Like that you don't care what they think. It's a liberated place to live. It's like, do you ever drive into a car park and the arrow says you've got to go that way and you go this way? Who, who follows the arrow? Who follows the arrow? <laughs> Matt, how did I know? How I knew you and me. I knew you and I. But who doesn't follow the arrow? Right. Well, I remember being told someone said, do you follow arrows? I said, no one follows the arrows. And they went, Darren, everybody follows the arrows. That's the point. The, But if you don't worry about what people think, <laughs> no, follow the arrow, follow the arrow. It's powerful in our lives when we, and my friend just never got there. And I, I just think about the difference it would have made if he had, he paid a high price for his trade-off. He, he did maintain, no doubt, a level of ease and, he, and, and uh, a level of inclusive, inclusiveness that he might not otherwise have had always because he stayed silent. But he paid a high price. He paid a high price himself for how trapped he would have felt because I know he was sincere in his faith. He paid a high price because of the people that didn't get to hear. He was a Christian and at least at, least at that base level they could connect that to God. And he paid a high price because he had the words of life and he didn't get to talk to other people about them. And, and then I think of the rich opportunities he missed, the eternities he missed just along the way. Because of it, um, there's lots of stories. My wife, Bron, um, hugs lots of people. She'll hug the person, the barista at the cafe. And, uh, and they'll become friends and buy each other Christmas presents. Yeah, like there's Bronnie. And, uh, and um, uh, why am I telling you that story? There was a reason. I can't remember, so we'll leave it there. Oh, opportunities. I remember one time there was a, a person in our town and uh, this guy... Uh, in a same-sex relationship. And, and Bron knew that he'd grown up in church as a boy. And uh, Bron just went up to him in a cafe one day and said, hey, I'm Bron, we've met at X. Um, hugged him and said, I'm a pastor, I want you to know you're always welcome. 
at our church and, uh, you know, they've done Bible studies together since and all kinds of things. You don't get that opportunity, unless you're Brian, uh, you don't get that opportunity if your faith isn't public. You know, that, that, that man is seeking. We've been friends for a long, long time. I went, I was in America and he was there and I was preaching in a church in his city and him and his partner came along and I thought in Arizona, I thought they might not let me in as the preacher for it, but... You know, you just don't know opportunities and eternities and all of that in the mix. And my friend, given who he was and the way he lived, had he gone public with his face, I'm confident of this. I'm confident that at the very least he would have been liberated. But more than that, I'm sure he would have changed some mindsets because of who he was and the way he lived. And it's more likely that someone's in eternity today because of it. Because, you know, as the Apostle Paul said, one sows, he's talking about the gospel, one waters, but God gives the increase. And he would have become a sower and a waterer uh, in the service of God who gives the increase. And it all works together for all of it to happen. And so how do you and I ensure that when we get to that day, that um, the impact of our lives, the impact of our faith has been all it was meant to be, big, small, or the otherwise, how to live a conspicuous faith. Matthew 5, verse 13 to 16 says, you're the salt of the earth. Don't you love it when modern phrases are still around 2,000 years later because of Jesus? You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so you see, he says here, you're the light of the world. Let your light shine. Live a noticeable, attractive, observable because of all that's striking, unmissable for all the right reasons kind of faith. But then he says that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So the assumption from Jesus is that people are able to connect the dots between the compelling life I live and the public faith that I have made known. And the purpose of it all here is impact. Impact here and now. Impact here and now. Impact on people's souls. Impact for all eternity. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says, Friends, this world is not your home. So don't make yourself cosy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life in your neighbourhood so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. Imagine that. Live an exemplary life in your neighbourhood. I like that. I like the idea that it just breaks it down into our neighbourhood. And that we just get to live it there, where we are, amongst who it is, whatever that looks like, every, every, everywhere that's our neighbourhood, everything that's our neighbourhood, everyone that's our neighbourhood. And I don't know about you, I, I'm, I, I always want to do more. Do you? I always want to do more. I want my life to scale up more and have more impact and you have to work out whether that's you or about God and people and hopefully it's about God and people. But regardless, whatever dreams you might have in your heart, and this doesn't diminish it, the Bible comes along and just says, hey, just remember your neighbourhood. Just, just here and now, where you're at amongst who that is. Remember that God's probably placed you there. Unless you're, you know, Jonah on the run. He's placed you there and you're not there by accident. And our actions 
uh, to have power and, and, and just remember your neighbourhood and, and, and just live there. And I, I know that I haven't fully exhausted mine yet. The places I go, the people I meet, all of that, who's in your neighbourhood. And right in the middle of that, the Bible says, live an exemplary life right there. Why? So people can see it and observe it and they can join the dots that point them to God. And so you and I, um, that's what God wants. It's, it's, it, he wants us to live a life that then points people to God just by the way we live and speak. Colossians 4 verses 5 and 6 as we think about this and get practical. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. I like that line. I like it. Be wise. What word would you put there for wise in terms of how you act towards outsiders? I've known people that are, that are weird. I've known people that are judgmental. I've known people that are silent. I've known people that are self-centered. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. What a great instruction. Make the most of every opportunity. I like that more. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And so here, here are just three things. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Just being wise. The, the word wise here could be translated common sense. Just use common sense. Wise people, I think wise people, wise Christians place themselves in other people's shoes, don't we? Or don't they? Like just, what's it like for you? What's it like the first time someone walks into church, for example? Does anyone remember that? I remember that. I remember walking in on my own, went to the wrong church. My mum gave me directions. I turned up at the wrong church. I was going to the Baptist. I ended up at the Brethren. I walked in. There's 25 people there. I sat in the back corner in high-top boots, hoodie on, and Adidas track pants. And I sat in the back corner, and I searched the room. There's about 25 people, and there were about six girls roughly my age. They were attractive, and I thought, yep, this is the church for me. <laughs> I didn't stay there long. But I remember what they did really well is that they gathered, they, they, they brought me in very quickly. They made me at home very quickly. And just, you know, walk in someone else's shoes. Um, I think seeking to listen more and speak less is helpful. Be wise in the way we act towards outsiders. I think wise Christians learn to be spiritual naturally. Um, again, if I could use... You know, we could use a bunch of people. I know that Kerry would be spiritually, naturally in her world. She'd pray for people. Um, probably not going to push them over. And probably not going to, you know, anyway, you, don't, you know what I'm saying. I think the wise, the wise, the wise think this. The wise think big picture. They, they just remember why we're here. They don't get lost in this stuff. Um, I've I got this friend and he's great at this. In, in fact, he, he, he does DAs for homes. You know, like legally get some past. And he did this DA for a home near Tamworth. And he made a mistake on a $600,000 home. And so when the people went to sell the house, there was a problem. My friend, not thinking about the money, thought about their eternity and went, I'll buy the house off you at market price if that's what you want. Why? You only come up with that decision as you think big picture. He could have stood his ground. Okay, guys, you signed off on the paperwork. He could have done all of that. And he went, no, no, I've made the error. And all he was thinking about was their soul. And so he bought the house off them and repurposed it so that he would do nothing that would get in the way of them 
coming to a faith in Jesus. That's what we're talking about. That's, that's what big picture people do. I've got a house for sale if you want. And, <laughs> but, and, 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 but it's powerful, right? Think about my skin. We're going to get a couple of images on the screen, I think. And, and uh, think about my skin here. We are in the worst of it. And uh, I can tell you it felt worse than it looks, right? So, yeah, there it is, day whatever that is. And uh, it's called the, it's, it's hell. And um, anyway, we'll get rid of that. My friend promised me that this is what will happen when I'm finished. So you see that next image. There you go. That's right. right. So I'm looking forward to that. That should be good. I'm not sure how many days away we are. Might be eternity. True story. My wife said to me one time when we were young married, don't ask your husband or wife this. Um, hey, some, I won't tell you what the first part. She said, Daz, you're the best looking man in the world. I said, Bron, have you seen Brad Pitt? <laughs> and she went, yeah. And I went, you, you, it's not real. And she went, no, it is. I went, Bron, I think we should end this conversation here. But the rest of the world knows. Anyway, the point is this. My friend, he's a Christian. He's a, he's a skin specialist. He saved my wife's life. We thank God. He felt called to be a doctor. And a few years ago, he literally saved Bronnie's life um, with, with, in a cancer situation. And uh, so every three years, he's made me go through this treatment since, you know, so I've done three now and uh, over the years. And, and the thing is, if he just thought about the treatment, if he just thought about the pain, the awkwardness, the disfigurement, the, you know what I mean? The sleeplessness. You sleep about three hours a night because as soon as you've had enough sleep to wake up and feel the pain, you wake up. And, and all of this, and if he just thought about that, he would never say, Darren, I want you to invest your money and do this treatment. But what's he do? He thinks big picture. He, he knows that's coming. And because it's going to keep me safe from a certain amount of cancers, when you're as fair as I am, um, he puts me through it knowing the big picture is that it might just save my life and I might just live longer. And you and I, as people of faith, if you are today... You and I have the biggest picture on life that there is. We have an eternal perspective on the life that is. And it is eternal, right? Eternity's coming and it's coming fast. And so when we look at people's lives, one of the things that helps us be wise and to go public in our faith is just not to think about the awkwardness or how they might react to me or all of those things that we all feel, but to step across that line and to go big picture, this needs to happen for you. Here's what I know about my mate who's gone to heaven. If he could come back knowing what he knows, he would be bold in his faith. He would have a faith going public for sure. And so I know that for some of us it's intimidating. I know it's challenging for some of us. And, but just encourage you, just helping you think big picture when you're standing in front of your friend when they've done you wrong or whatever it is or you're just considering the coffee didn't arrive on time or it ran cold. If we take our mind off that the coffee's cold and it ran late and just put our eyes on the big picture, almost everything becomes incidental. Almost everything. The wise, the wise develop, that, the, the wise develop a God-given paradigm they, um, I mentioned at the start the, the world-renowned preacher Joyce Meyer. They asked her, does she ever get nervous preaching before crowds of thousands? And she says, not anymore. As long as I don't make it about me and I focus on them, I never get nervous. Why? She's just different paradigm. It's not about her. It's about God and cause and people. Let's take this message today. You might leave and 
I might get a text and someone will go, Darren, that was theologically unsound. Go, okay, well, help me with the theologically unsound bit. You don't have to, by the way, but you can. And, uh, uh, that, but the, the, that'll be okay. And I'll go, okay, well, I'll listen to that because it's good for people. But I'm not going to get upset about it because it's only helping people, right? Then you and I, just thinking the paradigm here, God, people, cause, not me. And that changes how we view it all. So thinking about your world, where you live, where you have influence, thinking about people's lives, their souls, their eternities, where's something going on this week where there's something you go, well, what's the wisest thing I can do in that circumstance? What's just the wisest thing? Live an exemplary life. Um, Make the most of opportunity. Um, There's opportunity everywhere, right? And just be wise, make the most of opportunity. Um, it's everywhere. The Apostle Paul was writing to a, about a worker one day and he said, or to workers and he said, um, don't steal, work hard, follow orders. You never know what your employer will, this will mean for your employer as it relates to God. Work hard, don't steal, follow orders. You wouldn't think that is a combo for someone to think about Jesus, would you? But they're the words of the Apostle Paul because everything's an opportunity. The way I work, the way I speak, the way I live, the generosity of my heart, it's all an opportunity. And, um, you know, if you're this weekend, I used to work for Arnott's back in the day and I used to come to Armadale. You could always pick the poor uni students trying to get something to eat late at night once all the sales had been marked. And uh, maybe behind someone, a uni student in a line at Coles. Imagine just leaning over and tapping your card and, um, and then being able to connect the dots. That'll have an impact in your everyday life and mind, in the neighbourhood in which we live and that kind of thing. And so as I wrap this today, I I just want to give you um, a way forward. Uh, It's this simple. I think it is from St Francis, the monk, is it, of Assisi? Matt, you nod or give me the no if I'm quoting the right person. I did my homework, this is what I came up with. (laughs) Find a need and meet it. Oh, it is. There you go. We made it. Find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. Find someone down and lift them up. Find someone in darkness and bring them to the light. I was 22 years old when I heard that by a pastor called Rob Carmen. I'm like, oh, I can live that. Find a need and meet it just in my neighbourhood. So I'm going about my business. Find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. The one that's easy for me. I don't know what one's easy for you. Find someone down and lift them up. Find someone in darkness and bring them to the light. You and I, we can all do that. Find a need of me, find a hurt and heal it. Find someone down and lift them up. Find someone in darkness and lead them to the light in Jesus' name. Well, with that, let me ask you to stand and uh, we're going to close. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I know that everybody in this room um, everybody that, that um, would uh, serve you wholeheartedly, we all want to live this life. We all want to live our faith well and publicly. We want to have an impact for you and in people's lives, Lord, the here and now, the yet to come. And so, Lord, we commit our way to you. The Apostle Paul asked that the, the people would pray that he would have boldness as he should to make the gospel known. And so I pray that for all of us today that, God, you would, um, Lord, just continue to stir us and strengthen us to live this faith well, Lord, in a compelling way, and you would help us to live it out loud in a public way. Lord, whether that's just making it known that we go to church or 
that I'm a Christian or inviting someone to church online or whatever that happens to be. I just pray it help us. And my prayer today is that you would work the boldness, the kind of boldness that the Apostle Paul asked for prayer for, that you'd work that continually in us, Lord, that people's lives would be built and changed and transformed. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen.